see full house over here. Sorry for all those adults who got displaced over here. It's okay though, right? Yeah, it's good. It's a good thing. It's a very good thing. So, you know, years ago, um, after uh, Brianna Holly Hunter had gotten older and kind of moved on to doing their thing, it was Taylor and Trude at the house, or the younger ones. And so on one occasion, we went to a park in Cedar Hill to play. And it was one of those that had the wooden fort. You don't find as many parks with those old wooden forts anymore, right? So there was one over in Cedar Hill that had one. And so we started playing a game that's common for us, or me and the kids at least. Heather usually just watched us play this game. And uh, so uh, it was where I was the monster, of course. And they were the ones I was pursuing. And so on a wooden fort, it worked good because there were lots of places to hide and run and try to get across. And the deal was you couldn't get on the gravel or on the ground. You had to stay on the wooden fort. So you had to maneuver your way around and try to get to the other person. Well, they were good at it. I was older at this point, you know, not as young as I was when it was Taylor, I mean, it was Brianna and Holly Hunter days. So we come upon this moment where I'm on a platform kind of like this, and I look across, and there's Taylor on another platform raised like this, and it's gravel between us. Now, she says it was probably about this far. In my mind, it was only about maybe six feet. You know, maybe right to the middle of that platform. And she is just dancing around like, ha, 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 you can't get me. You know what that does to guys, right? Dads, you know what I'm talking about. It's like, I got to find a way. I got I to get there. So, yeah. So, I take a step back, and she knows what I'm thinking. And she says, Dad, don't do that. Don't. Don't do that. Which means, for a dad, please keep doing that, right? It means I have to do this. And so, I reared back a little bit more, and I went, and I... Just thought, I'm going to make it all the way to that platform. I'm going to catch her, tag her. This game is done. I win, right? I backed up. I ran. I jumped. And I came up short and went down. And my ankle went like that. And I went down. And she was alarmed and bothered. And I couldn't get up. I thought, oh, I've broken it. That's it. I've just broken my ankle. This is terrible. Heather was not there. It was just the three of us. And so I managed to get up, and I said, we need to go. <laughs> it was actually my, my uh, right leg. So I, I'm hobbling, you know, to the, to the van to try to get there. And I'm thinking, it's a long way home, and I've got to drive with that leg. But you know, as a dad, you can't let him see you hurt too much. So we make it to the van, and it's just miserable. It's throbbing, you know, it's starting to swell. It's just hurting. And, but we make it all the way home and call a friend who's physical trainer and they come look at it. And, yeah, you're going to need to get some x-rays. So I go eventually, get x-rays done. They said, well, you didn't break it, but it's, it's near, it was near break, so you're going to have to wear this big boot for a while. So it was, it was a big boot. And it still hurt a lot. And so that, that was really a bummer. You know, we had to wear those giant, there's a giant boot, and again, it still hurt. And so I just, you know, everywhere is like this. I can't even get to the church that next Sunday. They have to help me get up on the stage. So I can't even get up there. I had an office in a building that was on the second story. 
And I didn't go to the, that, that week I thought, there's no way I can even get up those stairs. There's no way. So I get there the, to the office, and there's a couple of guys that work there also. They said, no, we'll help you, we'll help you. And I thought, maybe they're going to go up and get the stuff I wanted and come bring it back. And they said, no, we're going to carry you up there. I said, no, please don't do that. Well, they, whoop, they scoop me up, and they, it's a narrow staircase, and it's two guys that weren't little. And so we're all three of us now, and I'm being carried upstairs. That's very awkward feeling, Right. Incredible, but we made all the way upstairs. I was grateful I was up there and I did not want to leave for a long time. And when I did want to leave, I didn't tell them. I just scooted down those stairs myself. Point was, I had a physical injury and it severely hindered my capacity. Right? When you have a physical wound or an injury, it significantly limits your mobility and your capacity to do the things that you really want to do. Now, I got over that. I got over it with some help from some people. I got over it with some training. I got over it because they put me in a rehab situation, and I got over it in time. Physical wounds like that can heal if you have some help and assistance from people who know what they're doing. In the same way we can have physical wounds that affect us, it is possible to have a wound that happens deep in your spirit that can hinder your ability to function. It can hinder you and limit your capacity, right? Listen to what the Bible says about a wound like this from the book of Proverbs. In chapter 18, verse 14, it says, The spirit of a man will sustain him in sickness. In other words, if you have physical illness going on, your spirit can help you overcome that. You can be physically in pain, but you can be spirit motivated to think, I'm going to get through this, I'm going to make it past it, and it will sustain you through the illness. But Proverbs here says, but who can bear a broken spirit? If that place in you that's supposed to give you life and health and strength and peace, if that part becomes broken, then what do you do? Because that will significantly hinder and limit your capacity to move and do the things you want to do, right? And the thing is, everybody in this room at some point has had some kind of of wound in your spirit. Every one of us have had a moment where someone has said something, done something, something happened to us. Maybe we even helped create the situation where pain entered deep into us. And maybe no one else saw it. Maybe no one else, no one else knew it but we felt it. And deep inside, there was a wound. And like a broken leg, like an injury, like a wound, it significantly hinders your ability to enjoy and experience life as God intended. So if you've got your, uh, your notes or your, your paper today, you want to take some notes, I'm going to do some more drawing on the board today. So a little bit more imagery today 
uh, less words, more pictures. So let's start with a, let's start with a circle over here on this side. And I know it's not a circle, it looks more like an egg, but that's okay, it's an oval. I wanted it to be. I'm not bad at drawing circles, right? So I could tell my kids, I actually have an art degree, so, right? <laughs> and my kids boo me for that for some reason. <laughs> Here in our spirit, we, this is the core of who you are, and this is where you have your identity, this is how you see yourself, how you believe God sees you. Whether you are one that is, that is loved, has purpose, has life, this is also the place where our faith is, how we see God. This is how he sees us. This is how we see him. It's also the place of your real passion. This is where you have your Strength. The joy of the Lord is to be our strength. And so here in our spirit is where these things all live. And as long as we are understanding how much we are loved and how good God is, then we have passion. And all of this happens deep within us. And it drives you forward. It walks you through storms. It helps you face resistance. It helps you face reaction. And as long as you're here, mighty in spirit, you can endure a lot of things. This is God's desire for you to be mighty in your spirit. Not just mighty physically, but mighty in your spirit. The problem happens is when a wound happens here. Today, our message is called Jesus Came to Heal More Than You Know. And I want to talk to you for just a moment about the pattern of a wounded spirit. So let's, let's just start an order right here in the middle, and we'll call this uh, a wounded spirit. But I want to add another word here. I want to call this an un healed, wounded spirit. Because here's the deal. Every one of us are going to be wounded deep inside, but Jesus came to heal that wound. He came to make us whole. He came so you could know forgiveness. He came so you could know life. He came so you could know peace. He came so you could know what it's like to be loved and love others. He came to give you all of that. But when a wound happens inside, it can limit our capacity to know all of those things. So let's start with an order here. And I'm going to say that this order begins with some kind of wound. I'm not talking about physical. I'm not talking about, you know, a, a, a spider that bites you or a scar when you fall down. I'm talking about something that happens deep within our spirit. I'm talking about the day someone said something to you and you still remember it. And on that day, it changed how you saw life. It changed how you saw yourself. Something happened. Maybe it was parents that said something to you, young people. Parents, maybe it was a young person that said something to you. Maybe it was in your marriage and it was the day that your spouse said something, did something, or a situation happened and all of a sudden you felt a wound deep inside, something that fundamentally changed you in that moment. 
Maybe it was from a friend. Maybe it was from circumstances. Maybe it was a tragedy. Maybe it was a loss. Something happened. Something painful happened. And in that moment, it changed something in you. The grief because of the person that died all of a sudden hit you in a way that you know this did something to me. Maybe it was a parent's divorce. Maybe it was a friend who betrayed you. Maybe it was that situation that happened that you were a part of, but in that moment, a wound happened deep inside. It was a lot more than just hurting your feelings. It hurt something deeper inside. It fundamentally changed how you saw other people, how you saw your parents, how you saw your spouse, how you saw your friends, how you saw God. A wound happened. That happens for everybody. There is no one in this room that this has not happened to in some form in your life. Amen? It's true. Do not let the enemy make you think you are alone this morning because this is what has happened to all of us at some point. It might have been minor for you or it may have been major for you but it has happened. And this is where Jesus comes to heal. But when we choose to not let him heal, when we're still stuck in that moment, here's usually what happens next. There begins to be distance. You start distancing yourself from the one who hurt you. If it was a parent, a young person will just start taking some steps back. They'll start sharing a little bit less information. They'll start being a little less emotionally engaged. They'll start spending less time because that hurt too much, too deep. Maybe it was a spouse. And because they said that thing or did that thing, you started taking a little step back in that moment, a little bit of distance. It usually doesn't start with a whole lot of distance. It just starts with a little. You just start withholding some information. You just start covering your feelings. You just back up just a little. Oh, you're still in the relationship. You're still there. But dinner time is not like it was. Going out is not like it used to be because there's a little distance there because the wound Hurts. You with me so far? Everybody? All right. If that is allowed to continue, it usually leads to the next thing, which is a communication breakdown. There's a break in communication. Now we cut off. Now it's only, yes. No, I don't know. There's a break all of a sudden because to share information could possibly lead me to further wounding, so I step back. Now, listen, I'm not justifying wrong behavior here. I'm just wanting to explain the process when it's unhealed. Are you with me? I'm not saying these are all right behaviors. I'm saying they're natural behaviors when we don't allow Jesus to step in and intervene and heal them. So... A communication break happens. There's not as much coming across the pipeline anymore. There may be a lot of questions from one side, but not a lot of answers from the other. 
And all of a sudden, there's a lot less information. And when there's a lot less information, it starts to communicate a message. And it says, I don't want any more of this. I don't want to hear anything else. I don't want to receive anything else. I don't want what you have to say. Hello? Listen, when I was a sophomore in high school, my parents said, we're going to move from Dallas to Ovilla. I was in the middle of my high school years. I had big plans. I had a lot of friends at my high school. And my parents said, we're moving to a small town called Ovilla. And I said, oh, what? <laughs> I was so mad at my parents. And this all started happening to me. I started walking down this path. And it, it almost went through the whole path I'm going to explain to you today. I know what this is like. I've experienced it on multiple other occasions as well. But I distinctly remember it then because of the pain that was involved in my life being upset in that moment, according to me. A wound, there's distance, there's communication break, and then there starts to be reaction. <clears throat> Have you ever had a sore, or maybe you wounded your leg like I did? When that happens, that spot is real sensitive. And anytime anyone gets near the wound you got, you're like, hold up, back off, back up. Hey, I don't want to get hurt again. We become very protective of what got hurt. And that's what happens here. When you allow a wound to continue and not be healed, it'll be very sensitive to you. And if you've been hurt by someone in your life and they start trying to talk to you, you'll have an emotional reaction to them that is different than what you normally would have had if things were healthy right? They ask a question about how things are going. You say, why are you asking me that? Who do you think you are anyway? I don't have to answer to you. They're like, hold up. You ever had that happen before? You start asking somebody some questions, they get all, you know, emotional on you. are like, oh, come on now. What's up? That's probably because this is happening inside them. This is what's happening. And there gets to be this big blow-up reaction, and they don't, the answers don't match the emotion. All of a sudden, the emotion is way exaggerated from what you ever thought it should have been to begin with. You're like, what is going on? That's an important time as a parent when you see your child do that, when you see your student do that, to stop and say, wait a minute, this is not right. I need to go back and try to heal and find out what happened here. That's not the time to say, well, don't talk to me like that, you're going to go to your room and just write this. Look, if you do that, parent, you're dealing with this and you're forgetting this. I'm not justifying their behavior or their reaction, but a wise parent says, I need to go back and deal with whatever happened up here and help my student, my young person. A husband or a wife in marriage, don't get all twist it off in this moment right here and say, well, don't talk to me like that. Don't, come on now. If you sense a reaction, realize something happened. You said something or did something and you got to get back and heal the wound. A reaction happens. If that is left to continue inside, here's what will happen next. There'll be a turning away. This is the moment where the person says, I'm kind of done here. But there's a longing inside to have a relationship, to be accepted, to be loved, to have some joy and some happiness. So usually what happens at this point, whether it's the young person or whether it's the spouse or whether it's the friend, they say, ah, see ya. And they check out. 
And all of a sudden, they're hanging out with a different set of friends. All of a sudden, they pick up a different behavior. All of a sudden, they're spending a whole lot more time with Netflix. All of a sudden, they're spending a whole lot more time scrolling. Because when there's a vacancy and a void in a relationship that was supposed to be life-giving and there's been a wound that's been undealt with, they'll go looking for it somewhere. And boy, there's a lot of options today to go find yourself, get lost in, right? You can get lost in social media. Look, I use social media, but if I see my time growing in social media, I got to stop and realize, wait a minute. I got real people in my life that need some real relationships, and I need some real relationship with them. I need to shut down for just a moment. Hello? Don't run in that moment, but that's what happens. This is where people turn to things like alcohol, drugs, smoking, lots and lots of media, movies, lots and lots of social media. This is where new friend groups all of a sudden emerge and you think, why aren't they hanging out with them? Because they're looking for people who have a compatibility with where they are and they'll find them, right? It happens, and listen, I'm not justifying it at all. It happens in marriages, it happens in friend groups, it happens with young people, it happens across the board. This is where the turning away happens because there's an unhealed, wounded spirit that is beginning a path here, and it's headed in a dark, dark place. The time that I experienced some of my worst struggles in high school was when this wound that I told you about continued unhealed in me, and I did this. This is where I started turning to wrong friends. This is where I started turning to wrong substances in my life. This is where I started doing the stuff that I had no business doing because there was a wound that happened back up here and I didn't know I didn't know what to do with it and so I just walked down this path. The next step that happens is people begin to think I'm just resigned to this. This is the way it's going to always be. They, they've tried to figure out other ways. They've turned to some other things, and they just get to this place where they think, well, this is just the way my marriage is going to be. This is just the way the parenting process is going to be. This is just the way church life is going to be. This is just the way it is when you are a Christian. And the enemy is having a heyday with your head in that moment and your heart because he's trying to convince you there can be no life, there can be no joy, there can be no reconciliation, there can never be healing, there can never be anything else. This is just the way it's always going to be. And that is the lie of the enemy in that moment, trying to convince you and persuade you that what you're doing in running away is the right thing to do because that's what the enemy does. He justifies your sin. He gets you to think, it's okay that I'm looking at these images. It's okay that I'm turning to this substance. It's okay that I'm hanging out with these people. It's okay that I developed this habit because I'm just in doing it. Because my wife, because my husband, because my parents, because my kids, because whatever has hurt me deeply. And I am justified in doing this. The more this continues, however, it begins to be guilt, 
There begins to be anger. And there begins to be depression. Because ultimately, those things aren't working. Ultimately, those things you've turned to have only caused you to turn further away. And now, not only do you have the wound in the relationship, but you got the stuff that you've done that you know was wrong, and all of this is piling on, and the enemy is just saying, way to go. Good job. Thanks for turning away. Thanks for buying my lies. Here's all the packages you get with. Oh, here's the bonus material too. Yeah, your life stinks right now, and the enemy is just loving it. And Jesus is broken for you because you've turned away and you've looked for other things and it's not helping you. It's only making it worse. Now you can't even sleep at night. Now you can't even get up in the day. Now you don't even know why you're doing what you're doing. Now you don't like any of the people in your life. Now it doesn't matter who you turn to. You're angry. Now it doesn't matter where you go. You're upset. And all of a sudden you start wondering, why are all the people jerks in my life? And you look at the center of it and you're the one in the middle of all those relationships. What this leads to is the very last thing. And I'll use the gentle word of escape. But in reality, what happens, it's much more painful because it's, it's at this point that some people believe the lie of the enemy and they say, my escape is out of this life. I'm done. I can't take it. I can't deal with it. I'm not getting any relief. I don't see any future in it. And the enemy wins when someone takes their life. The escape can happen in a marriage where finally that person says, I'm done. I'm out. I'm gone. I'm not staying anymore. Line in the sand. I'm through. It can happen in your own life. It's funny, there's been a term used over the decades to describe moments like this. Uh, They call it a midlife crisis. There is no midlife crisis. There are people who have believed a lie from a wound that's happened in their heart. At midlife, you're meant to be at your peak, not into a crisis. Now, if you want to tell me you're at this point where you're trying to understand God's purpose for your life, I get that. But there is no predetermined midlife crisis that you have to go through. Don't believe that lie. God's purpose is for you to live free, but this path is what the enemy wants to take you on. This is the one that leads down a very, very dark path. This one happens, and all of a sudden, what was meant to be your life source, how you saw God seeing you, how you saw God, and how you saw life, all of a sudden begins to take a a series of twists and turns, and it leads to a very dark place. Because this place now has become very, very small, and your spirit has become pretty tiny at this point. And yes, it looks like a storm, because this is what happens in your life. The more you leave these unhealed in your life, the more it creates just a vortex of pain, the more it just wraps you up in yourself until your spirit is so small down here. 
You can't sense God's presence. You can't get anything out of praying. The Bible means absolutely nothing to you. Worship services are empty and mundane, and you think everybody else is plastic when it's you that's dealing in the pain because you've never dealt with the wound that happened deep within you. And what was meant to be your source of strength in life has become incredibly small. The wound has withered you. It's led you to a very dark place. Now, if this alone was our message today, we'd all be walking out of here in some despair, right? But we're not going to leave in despair today. Take your Bible. Turn to the Gospel of Mark in the New Testament. Follow along with your app if you want. <clears throat> Mark chapter 3. Story about a man that Jesus meets. We'll have the verses on screen. I want to walk through the passage here for just a moment. And let's see what happens to a man who, believe it or not, is going to have a wound and it's going to cause him to wither. Mark chapter 3 starts off telling us about Jesus. And it says, he, Jesus, entered the synagogue again. Now, just a little bit of um, definition here. Synagogue is not the temple. The temple is where sacrifices were offered to God. The synagogue was a different building. The synagogue was probably more like you and I understand church to be. The synagogue is where the teaching happened. The synagogue is where they met together. The synagogue is where they carried out even some local community business affairs. The synagogue is where there would be some singing and fellowship and caring for one another. So synagogue is a place that those who believed in God gathered together so that they could grow in their faith. All right. So Jesus enters the synagogue. It's mostly the place where teaching happened. It says, and a man was there who had a withered hand. Interesting. Here's a man who's in the synagogue, and his hand is withered. We don't know how it happened. We don't know what happened. We don't know how long this has been the case, but he is unable to use his hand. And it's not just been wounded, it has withered. It has reduced down. It is weak. It is powerless. And he can't even feel with it anymore. The thing that should be what is his strength, the thing that should be what he uses to interact with people, the thing that should be what allows him to work, the thing that should allow him to function in life, to take care of basic necessities, the thing that should allow him to be able to provide for himself, eat, care for every need he has, that part of him has been wounded and it has withered. And this man is struggling because he's only able to do what his other hand will allow him to do. He's operating at just best 
half of what he's meant to be because he has a wounded hand and he's struggling. And he's here in the synagogue, which is a great place to be. He was a man who sought God. He was a man who wanted to be moved by God. He was a man who wanted to seek God even in his withering. Don't think that because you've been through a wound and have withered that you shouldn't be in a place of faith. If you have been wounded and you've experienced some withering, this is exactly where you need to be. Amen? Because this is the only place you can find help for a wounded spirit. Because Jesus is the one who deals in spirit issues. Jesus is the one who deals with core of life issues. And it's time for the church again to stand with boldness and to say, we have the answers to life. We're not ashamed of it. We believe it and we hold forth the word of truth because Jesus is alive and able to heal what is broken. Amen? Amen. And so Jesus is here in the synagogue. But Jesus is not alone in the synagogue. It says, so they watched him closely. The they here are men like the Pharisees. They were the religious teachers of the day. They were the religious leaders of the day. They were the ones who had taken what God had given as his law and they had added to it a lot of extra rules. Ever been around some Christians who add a lot of extra rules onto what should be just the basics and the essentials of grace by faith? Hello? You know what I'm talking about? These guys are all here in this experience. They are more rule-based than they are grace-based. They are more interested in tripping up Jesus than hearing what Jesus has to say. They are watching him closely. Man, you see, that's what happens when you're just interested in rules. This is what happens when you have a small capacity. You're more interested in making sure everybody else keeps keeping the rules. You become the rule keeper. You're watching out to make sure somebody else doesn't do wrong so you can rush over and say, ah, don't do that. Stop that. I'm the rule keeper around here. Stop that. You're doing wrong. Most people are in churches today, you know. They have a very small capacity, but they got a really big ruler, right? And they go around, they're watching to whack everybody with it. Hello? So they watched him closely, whether he would heal on the Sabbath so that they might accuse him. Man, they just can't, they can't stand this Jesus figure. They can't stand the fact that he has grace for people, that there's life in him, that people want to go to him, that people want to be with him that people are getting set free from having to be so bound by all the rules of the religious leaders. They can't stand all that, so they're looking for a way to trip him up. i got to find a way to stop this Jesus is what they're thinking. And so they're looking for specifically to see what he'll do knowing it's the Sabbath. It's the day of rest. It's the day of gathering to hear God's word and to have thoughts set on God. And you see, they had added a lot of extra rules to God's rules and laws about what could and could not be done on the Sabbath. And boy, they had a list of things. And they watched everybody to see, 
if you were actually doing work on the Sabbath, if you were, man, they're going to come with their ruler and come smack you on the fingers. You come get your knuckles and just pop in there and show you you're doing wrong. It was all about the rules. I get a little antsy around religious people who've got lots of rules. Hello? When rules are more important to them than the relationship with Christ. When law becomes more important to them than the love of Christ. When putting people under a bunch of rules is more important than setting people free to love God with all their heart, soul, mind, and strength. I get a little nervous around folks like that. Hello? Anybody else? They wanted to see if they could accuse him. They wanted to point out what was wrong in him rather than what was right in him. Verse 3, and it says that he said to the man who had the withered hand, I just love this, all these people that are there, all the religious leaders that are there who are so concerned about catching Jesus doing something wrong, Jesus sees all of them. He sees all the people that are gathered in the synagogue, and Jesus is drawn to one man, the man who had the withered hand. Jesus is always interested in the one who's experienced some withering in his life and who is willing to see what Jesus has to say about it. I noticed that Jesus wasn't too keen on all these guys that were chasing him, pursuing him, wanting to catch him. So he says to the one who has the withered hand, step forward. In other words, he tells this man, hey, why don't you come here? Step up out of the crowd. Why don't you get up out of your seat and come to me? Why don't you just come on close to me, Jesus says to him. And then verse 4, it says, then he said to them, now he's going to say something to them, the they, is it lawful on the Sabbath to do good or to do evil, to save life or to kill? But they kept silent. Jesus is really putting them to task here. Hey, guys, rule keepers. So is it okay if I do good on the Sabbath? Is it okay if I heal someone on the Sabbath? What about you guys in your books, in your rule books? Tell me, is that, is that okay? Is it okay to heal someone, to do something good for someone? Or are the rules more important than this man's heart? And Jesus is tasking him here, and it says, but they kept silent. Verse 5, and when he had looked around at them with anger, whoo, I just don't know if I want to be in that gaze right there. You know, Jesus is looking around the room, and he's looking at the withered man, and he has just eyes of compassion, and he scans the rest of the room, and he comes across the Pharisees, and he just, you know, his eyebrows come down a little bit, and his lips kind of come together a little bit, and his jaw tighten just a little bit. I'm not making this up. That's what Scripture said. Hello? He looked at them with anger. Jesus has compassion and love for all. He's drawn to those who have a heart that wants to be healed. And he's a little put off by those who are so arrogant, so self-righteous that they think, I don't need you at all in my life. He says, <clears throat> verse 5, also being grieved by the hardness of their hearts. 
He was hurting inside for them because they had hardened their heart. They had gone through this whole process here and their heart had hardened to the point that they say, we're here to trap you. We're not here to learn from you. We're here to hurt you. We're not here to be healed by you. We're here and we could care less what you have to say unless we can trap you in it. Small, small capacity. It says, then Jesus said to the man, stretch out your hand. Give me that part of you that is withered. Give me that part of you that's been wounded. Give that to me. Put it out here for all to see. Jesus was saying, just go ahead and let's make this a, a very honest, vulnerable moment. Stretch out here where everybody can see, where I can see, where you can see. Let it leave you and let it come to me. Show me what's withered. Do you know how humbling that would have to be for a man to show his strength withered, weak, wounded, and incapable. Yet this man is going to respond to Jesus. And it says, and he stretched it out and his hand was restored as whole as the other. And here was a man who had been through some wound in his life here is a man who is experiencing the withering of his own spirit. Here is a man who is in desperate need of help. And he found it this day because Jesus came into the room, because Jesus saw him, and because Jesus called him, and because he responded. So let's make some application today for us because I don't want us to leave here today with a wound that has withered us. Amen? I don't want us to have marriages that have had wounds in them that are withering us. I don't want us to be a people where our families are full of wounds and it has withered us. I don't want us to be parents who have wounded relationship with our children and it's caused a withering. I don't want us to be a people where the young people have had wounds from their parents and there's been a withering because Jesus heals wounded spirits. So some truths today I would remind us of. The first is this, is that Jesus knows wounds. You might say, well, I'm embarrassed for him to see what's going on in my life. I, I'm embarrassed for him to, to see where I, I'm hurting. I, I just don't know if I'm ready for him to see all of that in my life. Let me remind you what the scripture says about our Jesus. Isaiah 53. He is despised and rejected by men a man of sorrows, acquainted with grief. 
and we hid, as it were, our faces from him. He was despised, and he was, or, and we did not esteem him. Jesus knows wounds. He knows what it's like to be rejected by the crowd. He knows what it's like to burn for truth and have people resent him and people mock him and people turn away from him. He knows this because this is what he experienced. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God, and afflicted. We thought this was God's doing upon him. It was our fault. We caused it. But he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. And the chastisement of our peace was upon him. Jesus knows what it's like to have wounds deep inside. Don't think today that he can't relate to you. He knows what it's like to be rejected. He knows what it's like to be laughed at. He knows what it's like to have his friend group diminish and shrink and become very small and even that group turn against him. He knows what it's like to go through all of those things in his life. He knows the pain and the suffering. Jesus is one who is familiar with wounds. He knows them. He's experienced them. He's borne the weight of all of them. He knows very well what it's like to be rejected. He knows very well what it's like to be hurt. He knows what it's like to have the people who once called you friend and Lord to turn away. He knows what it's like to go through every one of those moments. He feels what you feel. Hebrews says, seeing then that we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our confession. For we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but was in all points tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us therefore come boldly to the throne of grace. We might find strength to help in our time of need. Jesus knows wounds, not just the physical wounds of the cross and the crown and the spear, but the wounds of rejection, the wounds that enter deep the wounds from the things the people have said to us, that others have done to us, that have shaken us at the core. Jesus knows wounds. But also I'd say to you that Jesus is drawn to your wound. It's funny how we think. We think, well, I can't let anybody see my wound. I understand this as a man, as a father. I understand that. I don't want to see people see me sweat, hurt, weak. I get it. But Jesus is not put off by your wound. Jesus is drawn to your wound. Jesus saw the man with a withered hand and he didn't say, oh, oh, geez, that's just oh, awkward. Just, you go stand over there, sir. I, just, I can't even have you... Having my eye, you know, sight when you're over there, just ugh. that's not Jesus. That's us. That's the Pharisees. Jesus says, "I see your wound. I see what's happened to you. 
come to me. In that whole room full of people in the synagogue, with all the folks that are gathered there, Jesus saw the man with the wound and he called him over to himself because Jesus cares for those who have been wounded. Jesus knows what it's like to struggle, to suffer, to bear the weight, to be rejected, to be cast off. Jesus knows all of that. And as a result, he's drawn to us. He's drawn specifically to your wound. He knows what your dad said to you. He knows what happened in that situation. He knows what happened. And he's drawn right to that. Because listen, there's nothing more important to Jesus than your heart being free. There's nothing more important to him than you being able to have peace, hope, and life again. He wants to free that little, small spirit that has developed in you because of the pain that you've been through. He comes to free you from all of that. And Jesus is far more concerned about your capacity than he is your activity. Jesus didn't say to the Pharisees that day, way to go, boys. Hey, y'all look great in your costumes, outfits, the stuff you're supposed to be wearing there. You look great in front of the crowd. Let me reverse that. They weren't costumes. They were what God designed for them to wear. But because they were dark on the inside, it might as well have been a costume because it was hiding what was small on the inside. You hear me? What they were wearing were holy apparel that God had prescribed for them to wear. But because they weren't honest with God, it was a front that covered their pain. And Jesus was not impressed with their activity because their capacity was small. Jesus is not really all that impressed with all we do for him when our heart is the size of a straw rather than a massive pipeline that's receiving in his truth and love and healing grace. Are you with me? Jesus is drawn to your wound and he invites you to bring it to him. He invites you to be open to him. He invites you to be whole. He invites you to come heal you. He invites you to restore what's been lost. He invites you to change you and not lay more of a weight on you. You see, when this whole process starts happening right here, the enemy loves this because when this is happening, you start thinking some weird things that the enemy wants you to buy into. And they sound like this. 
you know God is done with you, right? You know this is all God's fault, right? If he loved you, this wouldn't happen, right? You can't really trust him with your life. You know that, right? And the enemy asks every one of those with a little bit of a leading question at the end just to see if you'll buy into it. Because if you do, it'll shrink your heart even more. And the enemy loves to convince you that this is the way it's going to always be. But Jesus doesn't, isn't just drawn to your wound. He asks you to give him your wound. Jesus said to the man, give me your hand. Let me have it. Let me have the thing that's been wounded. Let me have the thing that has withered. Give it to me. Stretch forth your hand to me. Because only Jesus can be the one who can bring healing to what has been harmed in our life. Only Jesus can be the one who can bring hope to what has been hurt in our life. Only Jesus can do that. And he desires to do that. And here's what he wants. He wants to be to you what was taken from you. So if you say, love was taken from me. I gave my heart to somebody and they took advantage of it. The song says, stomp that sucker flat. And Jesus says, I know that was taken from you. Now, let me be what was taken from you. Let me be love to you. You say, well, for me, it was my whole, my whole ability to trust anybody was taken from me. I can't trust anybody. Now, anytime I see anybody, I just wonder what they've got. What's their motive? I just don't trust anybody anymore because of what's happened to me. And Jesus says, bring me that. Bring me that that's been wounded and that that's been withered in you. Bring that to me. I will restore that. Let me be the one you trust. I'm not telling you to go out and trust other people in this moment. Let me be the one you trust. Bring your withered hand to me. You say, well, I just don't have any hope for the future. I just don't see how it could be any better. I don't see how things are going to change. And Jesus says, let me be the one who decides that. Let me be the one who changes that for you. I can be the one. You say, well, I, I just feel so intimidated and fearful and weak and anxious. I just don't know that I can walk forward after all that's happening. I just don't know that I can handle it. Jesus says, let me be your protector. I know you had your protector robbed from you. I know that one you trusted you can't trust anymore. I know that that's what's happened in your life. I know you've been hurt. Come to me with what has been wounded and let me be that for you. Yes. Yes. Jesus says, yeah, amen. If you bring what has been wounded and withered and put it in Jesus' hand, the Bible says what that man experienced was that what was withered was restored like the other. This man got his life back. This man got his strength back. Listen, this man 
got the ability to feel again. Can you imagine not being able to feel in your life? Not being able to feel a loved one that you reach out to touch. Not being able to feel what's going on around you. But that's what happens when a wound enters our spirit and we get numb to life and we choose to not let our emotions be put out there again and all of a sudden we find ourselves wounded and all of a sudden we find ourselves withered and we can't even feel again because we've chosen not to. We've let ourselves go through this whole process right here and the enemy has duped us into believing it and today Jesus says it's time to come back and heal the most important thing, the wound. So many people say, well, oh, boy, I got to get back to church. I got to start doing things right again. Yeah, I got you. It's a good thing. Don't ever think that your activity equals your capacity. Just doing some churchy things is not what Jesus is all about. If it was, he would have applauded the Pharisees on that day. Instead, he was drawn to the man who needed his spirit healed. In your marriage, husband or wife, if you're experiencing these, it's time to have some honest conversations and see what happened here. Not here, not here, not here, not here. You don't need to cover it. You don't need to medicate it. You don't need to run from it. You need to get back to here and find where the wound began. And find here the help you need for here. Amen? Amen? Look, this may be a little bit personal and awkward this morning. Welcome to Vertical. <laughs> Finally, I'd say this to you today. Jesus heals what we allow him to have. This man got to experience some healing because he was willing to let Jesus have his wound. He was willing to say, I lost it. I haven't felt. I haven't had strength. I haven't been able to do what I needed to do. I'm bringing it to you, Jesus. Jesus wants you to be strong again. Jesus wants you to be whole again. Jesus wants you to be healed and free in your spirit to know he loves you, to know he is for you. There is forgiveness and there is healing. Would you bow your heads with me this morning? This is very personal. This is very intentional and very intense this morning. I would ask that you allow God to do what he is inviting you to do today. In just a moment, I'm going to pray, we're going to sing, and we're going to open our altar here for those who would like to come and pray.
Because sometimes, like it was for this man, you've got to get up out of your seat to go and meet Jesus. And maybe you need to come and give to him what's been wounded. And if that is your soul this morning and you don't know Jesus and you say, I've got to get the ultimate healing in my soul first, you come this morning. We'll have staff and counselors waiting here. But if there's something else that you need to have a conversation with Jesus about, this is your moment to lay it down before him, to bring it to him, that wound that has withered you. It's time to find healing. Father, this morning I thank you that you are more concerned about the condition of our heart than the amount of religious activity we have. You know our wounds and you know what it's like to hurt. And I know you have compassion for us. I know you're drawn to those whose hearts hurt. So this morning we come to you to bring to you what's been wounded, that we might find healing, that we might find hope, that we might have strength again and feel again the life that you have called us to. We pray in Jesus' name, amen.